Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. and presentations during that portion of our service. Today, this morning, I'm going to continue with the series that we've been doing, and I pray that the Lord will help us this morning to receive the Word of God. Would you do that? Amen. Let's just step into the waters this morning and let the Spirit and the power and the presence of the Lord minister to our hearts. Amen. If you have your Bibles, then will join me in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse number 17. The book of Romans chapter 12 and verse number 17. I don't know how many mourning people we have here today or how many people that are here that are not necessarily mourning people. You know, some people need to be kind of worked into. (laughs) The sunrise. You can't just jump right off the deep end. But this morning, we're gonna need to just jump right off the deep end. So if you can just be patient uh, and understanding we're going to do that. We're, we're just so honored today to have uh, Sister Gail Fears with us in this service. Amen. Amen. Just an unbelievable miracle. That is all there is to it. And uh, that is not any exaggeration. That's not trying to embellish the story. Uh, Brother and Sister Gibson and my wife and I were in the hospital uh, visiting with them on Tuesday, and uh, just if you don't mind me just being human here for just a moment, just crossing our fingers and praying all we could pray and doing all that we could do, and we had to put it in the hands of the Lord and walk away, but we put it in some great hands, and uh, the Lord just began to turn that situation around, not just solely due to our prayer, but the prayers of the saints and people around that were uh, believing God and trusting Him, and we're thankful that she is with us today. Did not ever dream in our wildest imagination that it would turn this fast, but we're happy that you're here. The book of Romans, chapter 12, and verse number 17. The Bible says, Recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Recompense to no man evil for evil provide things honest in the sight of all men. And so I realize we have a a lot of guests here today, and so before you're seated, let me just tell you what we've been doing for several weeks. We've been talking about the spirit of offense, and um, it is something that all of us face, whether we are serving the Lord or not. We have areas and seasons of our lives where we have things that we have to reckon with and work them out of our spirit. This is uh, based on a book I read many years ago that impacted my life and I just felt led some months ago uh, to just 
take a series through this and so we've been spending our Sunday mornings talking about this and I pray that the Lord has helped us. I can tell you this, it has brought a lot of things to the surface and they haven't all been pretty either. But when they come to the surface, you gotta deal with it. You can't just sweep it under the rug. So when, when something rises up in your spirit, we need to place that on the altar and ask God to help us to deal with that and make sure and when you go to a doctor and they start probing and prodding and pushing, and does it hurt here, does it hurt here, does it hurt here? And anytime you say yes, there's sometimes that the doctor says, well, it's not supposed to hurt there. And so if we're talking about all this and it starts hurting, I want to tell you it's not supposed to hurt there. And so that might be a sign of spiritual infection and we may need to do something about that. Amen. Lord, I love you today. Thank you for your word. Strengthen this, strengthen this word to our heart. And I pray that you will anoint us, Lord, to receive the word, not just to speak it, but to receive the word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen. You can be seated. We discussed last Sunday about, the, uh, about holding on to a, an offense of unforgiveness is the same thing and likened in scripture to holding a debt against someone. And so when a person is wronged by someone else, they believe a debt is owed to them. We've often heard people say after being offended or wounded or, or, or whatever, they're gonna pay for that. And that's just how we reckon that in our mind. There's, there's gonna be a payday someday. And so we liken that to a debt that is owed to us. They expect a payment of some sort, whether that is monetary or not, a payment of some sort. It's, it's just human nature. Let me just clear the air this morning and tell you that we have all been offended at some point. Chances are great. And also chances are great that we have been the one doing the offending at some point. So I hope in this room there's no one got their wings all spread out and their chest all pooched out and, and you're just so thankful that the pastor's finally dealing with this subject. <laughs> Amen. Because we've all been there. We have all been there. The story is told of a soldier who was fighting over in Iraq. He received a letter from his girlfriend announcing to him that she was going to break up with him. In this Dear John letter, she also asked him to return the picture of herself that she had previously mailed him because she said, I need to use that picture for my upcoming bridal announcement. And uh, bad timing. The soldier was so brokenhearted, began to share the story of his breakup with his friends and then told her not only was she breaking up with him, but she also wanted to, her picture back for a bridal announcement. So someone in that and that steely group of military men came up with this idea. The whole platoon gave him pictures of all of their girlfriends and told him to send them to his ex-girlfriend with this note, for the life of me, I can't remember which picture is yours. You are a carnal bunch. I am, I am, God forgive you and heaven forgive you. <laughs> I've not even got to the punchline. You, you, 
you've ruined the whole story. For the life of me, I can't remember which picture is yours, so please remove your picture from all the pictures I'm sending and return the rest to me. <laughs> Amen. I have a feeling that was the most hearty response I'm gonna get the rest of this lesson. <laughs> the sad part is it is probably downhill from here. The unforgiving servant is an illustration that we used last week because here was a man that had been forgiven of so much. As a matter of fact, it was truly, as the songwriter said, a debt he could not pay. He would not have lived long enough to be able to pay the debt, yet when he comes outside having been forgiven, he finds someone who owes him so little. And not only will he not have any mercy to forgive the debt, but he also cast this man into prison. And he sought compensation. And he, thought, he sought that through the court of law. In other words, I, I want this done and I want this done now. But that is not the way of righteousness. That is the world system and that is what we are conditioned to. And, and in large part, that is why we laughed so heartily just a moment ago because revenge sometimes just has a taste of honey. Amen. But it doesn't stay that way. Romans 12 and 19, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. To give more clarity to that passage, another translation says it this way, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God is not relegated to operate on our time frame. He's not, he is not obligated in any way, sense, form, or fashion to do things as we feel he ought to do them. But if I can understand that one passage of Scripture, that vengeance is not mine, it is not my place to try to settle this score, but it is going to have to be something I put in the hands of God and trust him. And there's just something about that little word trust that we have to understand. You can't partially trust someone. You either trust or you don't. Because when you say, well, kind of, that's not trust. Trust is trust. When the bridge is built and when it is all finished and and everything is completed, someone has to drive across that bridge. Someone has to test its strength. Someone has to trust. And so you never know if you can trust God until you've had to trust God. Amen. And so we, when we set out to correct wrongs that have been done to us, we set ourselves up now as the judge. And we set ourselves up now as many times the judge and jury to figure out what is right, what is wrong. James 4.12 says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Then he asked a very pointed question, who art thou that thou judgest another? Who art thou that thou judgest another? God is the just judge and he will pass righteous judgment. And I'm thankful for his righteousness. I'm, 
when, when David got in trouble, I was just reading this recently, but when David got in trouble for numbering Israel, remember he was given a few options there about what his punishment would be. And David had this one request. He said, whatever happens, I don't want to fall into the hands of man, but let me fall in the hands of God. If in the hands of God, no matter how severe the punishment. And David was a man who in his lifetime was severely punished by God. But he nevertheless said, let me fall into the hands of God rather than into the hands of man. And so I would say, Lord, help me to fall into the hands of a righteous God and not into the hands of man. You may have done something wrong to provoke uh, the wrong incurred at the hand of another. Maybe you have, or maybe you've done nothing to deserve the wrong that has been, uh, that, that's been brought against you. But when we have been wronged, even when we have been wronged for no reason, what we have to bear in mind as the balance to kind of keep us in check and grounded, we have to contrast what's been done to us by by men or common mankind, we have to contrast that what's been done to us against what we have been forgiven of ourselves. You know, I just, I, I think one common illustration we could all use here is uh, every now and then people just have a, 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 the ability to lose all sense of rationale when they're driving. And, and there's no one here that hasn't pulled out prematurely in front of us, someone else and we've all been guilty of all of those things and, and uh, I just, um, I'm amazed at how people respond to that. When you make some small mistake, you drift over in their lane and they just come by you just, you know, they've never made a mistake and they're in ho their whole entire driving career and, and now it's just a, an absolute showdown instead of understanding that, you know what, we've all been right there and made those same foolish mistakes and let's just, have a little love for common man, a little understanding here. And so when we think about all the things we've been forgiven of, what God has done for us, then it makes it very hard to pick up the sword of judgment and wield that against another. I don't ever want to forget about the mercy that has been extended to me. And I know I say this often, and I hear this quoted often in the church, but for grace, there go I. I'm thankful for the grace of God and I don't ever want to forget about the mercy that has been extended to me because mercy means everything. I, I'm, I am somewhat taken by how often someone, when, when someone else has made a bad decision, there are others that would really, really, really like me to cut the mercy down a whole lot because we want to see them pay. We want to see them squirm. We want to see them uncomfortable. But when they or one of their own commits some kind of wrong, would you please turn that valve the other way and, and let's just get all the mercy we can get flowing. Am I talking to anybody here today? Amen. If you want to see somebody uncomfortable, you better check your Holy Ghost. If you want to see somebody squirm, you want to see somebody break out and sweat drops, you, you, you had better check your spirit. I'm, thank you, I'm thankful for mercy because mercy means everything. If it hadn't been for grace, the grace of God. You know, Paul lists this long, dirty laundry list and then concludes it by saying, and such were some of you. I'm sure if you've been here any length of time at all, you've heard me say this, but he said, and such were some of you. 
I am confident that we could, some could just say, well, I, I was never this or I was never that and I, I will give you that. But I want you to never forget this, that may have been your lot in life had mercy not intercepted you. You don't know the plans that the devil had for you. Amen. How many know the devil has plans for us? He pray, Jesus prayed for his disciples and Simon Peter in particular and said, I have, Satan desires you to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. The devil has a plan for you, but I have prayed for you. Amen. So I want to be very, very careful. Thank you, Lord, for mercy. Thank you for grace. Under the Old Testament covenant, if you had trespassed against someone, that person had a legal right to bring that same trespass back to you, whatever it may have been. Permission was, was granted under the law to collect on all debts, repaying evil for evil. The law was supreme because Jesus had not died on Calvary. However, when you, uh, when you hear people talk about uh, the Old Testament and how tough the law was and, and, uh, and then we hear people talk about grace so much that it almost makes grace sound syrupy. But when you really read the, the message of Jesus, whenever you follow the ministry of Jesus, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came, he came to make the law accessible to man. But he didn't water it down. If anything, he lifted it up a little bit higher. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and 38, ye have heard that it hath, and, and it, uh, you have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I mean, this is a bewildering message even in this day. But you can assure yourself of one thing. To those who had had their mind and their heart and their culture saturated in the law, they were very confused by this statement because they had lived by, if you shoot my dog, I'll shoot your dog. And then it's all said and done. And now Jesus comes along and he said, I'm not saying evil for evil, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I'm saying if someone smites you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Where, where are all this, where's all the laughter? That was here a moment ago. And whosoever shall compel thee to go one mile, go with him, twain. Give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. And so Jesus didn't come to wash all this down and whitewash it away, but he said, we're gonna make this doable and I want you to raise the level of what we're doing. He eliminates any gray area whatsoever. And so our, our attitude, we have a responsibility to remove from our attitude the spirit of wanting to avenge ourselves and so that we, and in doing so, I understand that when we do that, we also open ourselves up to being taken advantage of again. Amen. It's like people that have been hurt in love and they say, well, I'm not gonna love ever again. And really and truly, what you're gonna really set yourself up for is a lifetime of heartache. And then, well, you mean to tell me that if I love again 
Am I not now putting myself in another place of vulnerability to be hurt again? Yes. Yes, you are. So we have two worlds to choose between. We can build walls around us that we think are protecting us without realizing that they are walls that are going to imprison us. But when we open ourselves to the will and the way of God, the scripture says all things are gonna work together for the good. And so I'm gonna put my trust and my confidence in him. That means that I may be putting myself in a position to be taken advantage of, but I don't wanna rob myself of blessings. I'm not talking about throwing common sense to the wind. But I don't wanna rob myself of blessings in the meanwhile. I am confident that I have helped somebody with gas money who was not going to their grandfather's funeral. I'm fairly sure. However, I believe that I have helped people make such journeys. And so just because I feel like at the end of the day someone took advantage of me, I don't wanna cut off the flow of blessings in my life. And so I can't become embittered because somebody made up some horror story and, and just out and out lied to me. I can't cut myself off from a future blessing myself and blessing someone else. So we do set ourselves in a somewhat precarious position to be taken advantage of again, but that's just what we're gonna to have to leave in the hands of God. And so to someone that receives something through ill gain, then God will take care of that somewhere down the road. When we seek to correct the wrong that's been done to us, again, we set ourselves up as the judge. The unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 did this when he put his fellow servant who owed him so little in prison. He served as the judge for that man. And in turn, this unforgiving servant was turned over to the tormentors until he should now have to repay that debt. On the other hand, we've got to put our hope and trust and confidence in God. And let me tell you this morning, I'm not preaching about something that I, that I just learned out of a book. I'm not preaching about something that someone told me about a story one time, but I'm preaching something this morning that I've had to live out in my lifetime and I am confident that I will have to continue to live out. But I will tell you that the rewards of letting it go are so far greater than the rewards of holding on to it. Because when you release it, you release you. When you let that go, you let yourself go. I'll say it again, when you let them off the hook, you take you off the hook. And it's such a great feeling. God always rewards righteously and he, he only avenges in righteousness. Think about this, when Jesus Christ hung and died on Calvary's cross, this is what he said about the very people that are sitting in this building today, so far removed from Calvary. This is what Jesus said. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I wasn't standing at the foot of that cross asking for forgiveness. I wasn't standing there asking for justification. But he looked down through time and he said, I want you to forgive them for they know not what they do. He forgave us before we came, confessing our offenses. That's why we are admonished by the apostle Paul in the places like Colossians 3 and 13. 
He says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You see, especially in the world of Pentecost, we love having church a whole lot more than we like living church. Because we love the feeling and the emotion and we can clap our hands and we can raise our hands and we can speak in tongues, glory, hallelujah. But you see, that will mean nothing. Sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. If we've got all this junk in our spirit. Amen. It, it, it doesn't really matter how wonderful the beverage is. The real question I have is, what about the vessel? What about the cup? I want to make sure that whatever is in the, whatever is in the cup doesn't taint the beverage. I want to make sure that whatever's in the vessel doesn't taint the spirit of God. So he said, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against you, forgive him. How? As Christ forgave you. And, and, and also do ye. So we need to forgive because we have been forgiven. Ephesians 4 and 32 says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And so I want to make sure that because I have been forgiven, I understand the value of forgiving and moving on and, and let the Spirit of God take care of that. And, and, and I'm, I am confident of this one thing this morning, that not only are there people here that have had offenses in your life, not only are there people here that bear wounds in your body, in your, in your heart, in your mind, but I believe there's also people here that have lived long enough to see that God really is a just judge and he will make wrongs right. He will bring it all about. And, and I just feel compelled to say this one more time. I know I've mentioned this many times in this series. Unless something is grossly, grossly, grossly out of tune in your spirit, when somebody does have their reaping day, it's not gonna feel nearly as good as you think it's going to feel. When somebody's life starts crumbling in around them, you may think it may have thought at one point you're just gonna be clapping your hands, but it will not feel as good as what you think it may feel because in a moment of time, you're gonna realize that there's some innocent people that are also caught in the vacuum of all of this that's going on. And so it's not going to feel nearly as good as you may think. Often Jesus likened the condition of our heart to that of soil. We're admonished to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Certainly that is his will. The seed of God's word will then take root in our hearts and grow and eventually produce fruits of righteousness. According to Galatians 5, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit that he speaks of is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, but the ground, you see, is limited. The ground can only produce what's planted in it. And so where I've gotta be careful is what I plant in the soil. And so if I plant seeds of debt, seeds of unforgiveness, seeds of offense, 
then there's another root that's gonna take up, that's gonna come up out of the ground and that's called a root of bitterness. One man correctly stated bitterness is unfulfilled revenge. We just have something in our heart that is unfulfilled and it is produced when revenge is not satisfied to the degree that we desire. Well, I know they paid a little, but I wanted them to pay a whole lot more. I wanted them to pay a whole lot more. That is bitterness. It's produced when revenge is not meted out to the level or degree that you think. The writer of the book of Hebrews speaks directly about this issue. He said in Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness is a root. And if roots are nursed, if roots are watered, if roots are protected, if roots are fed, if you give any attention to them whatsoever, they will only increase in depth and they will only increase in strength. And so if you don't deal with the root of the matter and if you don't deal with it quickly, after a while you're gonna have something on your hands that cannot be pulled up. Uh, a while back you could have just plucked that out with almost no effort. And so that's the strength of that offense begins to grow and grow. And when we are exhorted, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 26, we're exhorted not even to let the sun go down on our wrath. Now some of the best advice I ever got as a young man about to become a husband, my pastor told me, he said, you guys never should ever go to bed mad at one another. And so you know, you're giddy in love. You're sitting there in the pastor's office on the couch holding hands. You don't even know what he's talking about. Mad, what is that? Don't go to bed mad at one another. You hear me? Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> and then life moves in. And you're thinking, he knew what he was doing. He was setting me up. <laughs> Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's not always easy to deal with things. It's not always easy to deal with things, but he said don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't give place to some roots getting deeper and stronger because you're gonna have to move these at some point. So now instead of fruits of righteousness being produced, we see a harvest of other things that shouldn't be in our life. A harvest of resentment and anger and, and, and jealousy and hatred and strife and all of the things that should not be there because someone didn't take care of the root of the matter. The Bible says in, in uh, Matthew chapter seven, in verse number 19, every tree that bringeth forth not, the, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down or cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. You shall know them. And so we tell on ourselves, we really tell on ourselves, have you ever met people? They're just angry. They were mad this morning when they woke up and they're gonna be mad this evening when they go to bed. They're just full of anger and they're full of bitterness and they're full of malice and they, they will just cuss you up one side and down the other for near nothing or nothing. And it's almost like they, they do it like they're getting paid to do it. 
They're just full of anger. I promise you, if you could just put your finger on the timeline of their life and just start walking backwards, you could find a series of events. You may even trace back far enough to find an event that gave root to that, that gave a start to that. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was some, uh, some, something that was done to them in their childhood that kind of jaded how they viewed an authority figure. And then all of a sudden, that just began to twist and turn out of control, spiraling out of control until now you have a 30 or 40 or 50 year old woman or a man that has so much bitterness and anger and malice in them. And it all started back here because they didn't know how to deal with it or perhaps wouldn't deal with it. And, and maybe the, the spirit of the Lord is bringing all of us to this place here this morning and that may be you. And I will tell you this, this day that you will be so much better off to get Get whatever tools out of the shed you can and start digging and working on this thing until it's removed from your heart. No matter how big the crevice, no matter how deep the wound may be incurred to try to get this out of your heart, you'll be better served. Your children will be better served. Your grandchildren, your neighbors, your friends, the world will be better served if we get all of this out of our heart. Amen. Amen. Angry people. I've met angry people. I've met, I have met people through the, the, the work and role of chaplaincy that, that have testified to me on this side of a healing, of how God has helped them to get that out of their heart and how that they were just raised in an environment where there was so much hate and so much anger and so much malice until they literally just, if, if they went to town and somebody just looked at them wrong, and I'm not making this up, they just took it to the nines. They just took it to the nth degree because they were looking for trouble. And we live in a world, if you're looking for trouble, you don't have to drive very far. But they were there and they were ready to take advantage of any situation because of the anger. And so after a while, maybe someone is being beaten down because of some small look or a glance or a gesture or something they thought was a look or a glance or a gesture. And it had nothing really to do with the situation and had everything to do with the anger that is in them. And I know you're comfortable now because we're talking about something way, way, way extreme. And you're thinking, well, I would never hit anybody. I would never do anything like that. But I wonder what we would say about people. If you don't use your fist, but you still use your tongue. If you wouldn't use a weapon, but you would still, you would still plot and plan to work against someone. And you know what? You don't even have to use your tongue. But someone can say something about someone else and you just kind of, and your raised eyebrow and your glance and your smirk could tarnish someone's reputation. Oh, God help us. God in heaven help us. Because if we have touched them, we have touched them. Whether we touch them physically or whether we touch them through conversations. And so we have to pray that God would help us because you're gonna know a tree by the fruit that it bears. And so I wanna be a protector of someone's reputation. I wanna, I wanna make sure, I'm gonna tell you, I, I've, I've say it often, but if you wake up in the morning and, and someone tells you that I robbed a bank tonight, before you post that, 
<laughs> before, before you flare up your car, corporal tunnel deal, I, I, would you please just give a little bit of room and think, you know, that just doesn't sound right. And, and, and until I heard that come out of his lips, I'm not gonna repeat that until I know this is true. We need people that will be defenders of someone else's reputation and defenders of, of, of their name and their heritage. Hear me today. Amen. You know a tree by the fruit that it bears. The Bible says that a person that does not pursue peace by releasing offenses is, is, is a person that will eventually become defiled. And that is that which is precious now is gonna end up corrupt because of the spirit of, of unforgiveness. Earlier in our studies, and I must hasten here, we looked at how David remained loyal to King Saul even when Saul was not loyal to David. David did not seek to avenge himself even when given the opportunity on at least two different occasions that we know of. David was a man after the heart of God and, and he let God, he said, God, I'm gonna let you judge between me and Saul. You see what's going on here. And so when God's judgment fell upon Saul, hear me, David did not rejoice in that. He grieved over Saul and held no bitterness toward him. And after Saul's death, David now ascends to the throne. That was where he was anointed to be. And he strengthened the nation. And David enjoyed many military and financial successes and held the throne securely for a long time. He married many wives. Those wives, of course, bore to him many children. Among them was Amnon, his oldest son, and Absalom, his thirdborn son. David's son, Amnon, had committed a wicked offense against his half-sister Tamar, who was Absalom's sister. And if you know this story, you know where I'm going. He pretended to be ill and asked his father to send Tamar in to help serve him food. And when she did, he ordered his servants out and he took advantage of the situation and to be quite frank, he raped her. He then despised her and said, I want her taken from my sight. He had disgraced a young lady that was destined a royal princess, devastating her future to nothing but ashes of shame. Without saying a word to his half-brother, Absalom brought a sister into his own house and began to tend to her and provide for her. But hear me, he hated Amnon, that's what the scripture says, for defiling Tamar, his sister. Now, I'm not suggesting that there wouldn't be feelings but I wanna to talk to you about what happens when you let hate get in your heart. David was outraged when he heard of Ammon's wickedness, but, but David, for whatever reason, took no course of action. There's a lot of conjecture on that, but Absalom was devastated by his father's seeming lack of justice. Tamar had once worn the royal robes that were reserved for kings and, and for the king's virgin daughters, and now, she wasn't wearing that robe, but she was wearing a robe of shame. She was a beautiful girl and probably had been held in high esteem by all the people. But now, because of something happening to her, hear me, because of something happening to her, she did not ask for. Her future is jaded. Her future is altered. Now she lives in seclusion, unable to marry because she is no longer a virgin. And so there is no question whether or not fair or unfair. There's no need to discuss that. It is in 
emphatically unfair. She had attended to Ammon at the king's command. She was doing what she thought was the right thing to do. And in the process of all that, she was defiled and it was her future that got put up for grabs. Her life as she knew it was over while the man who committed the atrocity lived as though nothing had happened. He said, I despise her. Away with her. I don't want to be reminded of my past. And so he wakes up every day to a fresh scene while she wakes up every day to a completely shattered and damaged future. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? She bore the weight of it all. Her life in shambles. Day after day, Absalom saw his grieving sister and something began to fester more and more and more. The perfect existence of a princess had now turned horribly wrong. Absalom waited for his father to do something, but the longer he waited, he realized David was going to do nothing. The bottom line is this. Absalom was offended by his father's lack of response. And I want you to watch now. We're fixing to have more lives spinning out of control. Absalom was offended by David, his father, and he hated Ammon. He hated Ammon, was offended at his father. After two years of hatred for Ammon, he birthed a plot to murder him. He threw a feast for all the king's sons, and when Ammon did not suspect him at all, Absalom had him killed. With his revenge accomplished against Ammon, Absalom now fled. But the offense he carried against his father was only hitting second gear. Amen. And especially even more so when he was away from the palace. Absalom's thoughts were poisoned with bitterness. And here's what happened. We're talking about father and son because of an offense. He became critical of David's weaknesses. Yet, in some way, he hoped that David would call for him. When David did not, this just fueled his resentment against his father. And the Bible says that he stayed away for three years. David had been comforted through the death of his son Ammon and Joab had convinced the king now to bring Absalom home. Let's just try to get on with our lives. Let's try to put all this behind us and let's just move forward. But David still refused to meet Absalom face to face. Two more years went by and David finally returned Absalom to favor and granted him full privileges in their home. But hear me, all the while the calendar pages are flipping, the bitterness in Absalom's heart is growing deeper and the fire is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Absalom was an expert in appearances. Before he murdered Ammon, listen to what the Bible says in 2 Samuel 13, 22. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. He just didn't say anything. He didn't say anything positive, didn't say anything negative. And you know what? Many people are able to hide their offenses just as he hid the hatred for his own brother. Just don't say anything, but hear me today. If it was appropriate, I would stand on top of this desk and scream this next line. It will not go away, and you must deal with this. You've got to deal with it. 
You've got to deal with it because it's a root of bitterness and it's growing up. And after a while, you're gonna look in the mirror and you won't even recognize the man looking back. You won't even recognize the, the woman looking back. And you know what? If you're a parent, you've got all the more reason to get your heart right because you cannot have all this bitterness in your life and somehow, some way, that not trickle down into the innocent lives of your sons and your daughters. What I'm preaching about today is serious. This may not be a feel-good message but it'll do us good if we'll get the power of the word of God in our heart and let it cleanse us and wash us and make us whole. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Can we do that? Hallelujah. Amen. Out of this offended and critical attitude he began to draw to himself. Please hear me now. He began to draw to himself anybody that had a critical attitude or anybody that was cynical, or anybody that was discontented. And so now Absalom is getting him his own army. (laughs) And he made himself available to all Israel, taking time to listen to every little complaint that comes down the pike. Let me just talk to you this morning. Amen, you know, he, he, he would say things like, well, it would be different around here if I was king. And I don't know why dad is doing that. I don't know why David is carrying on like this and he judged their cases since it appeared that, that, that at that time it appeared that they had no king because David was taking no action. Perhaps Absalom judged their cases and, and felt like that, that he could do so and serve justice of his own. He seemed concerned about the people and this is what the Bible says, that Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel from David. But, he was, but it wasn't because he was genuinely concerned for him. What he was really trying to do was overthrow his dad. What he was really trying to do was right the wrong. Tamar is not even standing here now. But he's still trying to right the wrong. And let me just say this this morning. Absalom drew Israel to him, rose up against David. David had to flee Jerusalem for his life. And it looked as though Absalom was gonna establish his own kingdom but instead, he was, he was killed as he pursued David. Even though David had told all of his men, don't kill him, whatever you do, somehow that, that order didn't trickle all the way down and Absalom was in fact killed. He was killed, but I really think that Absalom wasn't necessarily killed by the sword. He wasn't necessarily killed as a victim of war, but Absalom was killed by his own bitterness. He was a man out of control. He died in the prime of his life because he refused to forgive a debt that he thought his father owed and he ended up defiled. Let me say today from my heart that there's people sitting in this building, I could speak to maybe the leadership even of our church, that you can become offended by the the leadership of this church. You can become offended by me. And if you're not careful, you can become critical and experts at everything that's wrong. And, and if it was me, I wouldn't do it that way. And, and if we could just, and you lend your ear, sympathetic ear to every critic and every cynic, let me just sound a warning to you. There were people that sang a chorus that said, Saul has killed his thousands. And when David came along, the same choir just wrote another verse. Comma. 
David has killed his ten thousands. And so you got to be very, very careful that you don't lend an ear to a critical spirit. Amen. Because your mission in life is not to deliver everybody around you from injustices. Amen. I'll take this one step further. If people will talk to you, I'll just use me as an illustration. If people will talk to you about me, give them time. They'll soon be talking about you to someone else. Amen. So we got to be very careful. I'm not saying their observations are not correct. There are areas of weaknesses in every leader's life. We've got wonderful leadership in this church. Wonderful, not perfect leadership in this church. We've got wonderful leadership in this church. They got areas where they can flex their muscles, my oh my. And we've all got areas where we can't pick up a glass of water. Strengths and weaknesses, but that's why we're a team. And we come together. In what area I'm weak, somebody else excels. Whatever area... That, that, that there's a hollow spot. We try to feel that. And as a team, and so when you start singling people out, amen, when you start singling them out, that's unfair. Right. That's unfair. Maybe a mother alone is not a good parent. Maybe a father alone is not a good parent. But together, they complement one another. Amen. And so mercy and judgment can be on either side, not necessarily fathers or mothers, male or female. And so we need that. And I'm very thankful to find in most cases, in most families, you have that person that is really quick to discipline. But I'm so thankful that most of the time they marry somebody with mercy. (laughs) Oh, come on now. And sometimes those roles reverse, but I'm very, very thankful for the most part that combination of working together. Remember, if you so strive, you will reap strife. Because whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So you need to sow peace, sow harmony, sow togetherness, sow love, sow strength, because that's what you're gonna reap. Amen, I gotta move quickly. Look diligently, Hebrews 12 and 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many are defiled. So I've gotta open my heart, I've gotta examine my heart, and when the Spirit of God begins to speak to me, I must do something about it. I've gotta do something about it. Amen, so stay tenderhearted. Stay pliable, stay moldable. And you may say, how? I am glad you asked. (laughs) Ephesians 4 and 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiven one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. How do I stay tenderhearted? I remember how much I was forgiven of. Amen. See, our real problem is we're not sure we were all that bad. But lost is lost. 
So you may not have scars that run a mile deep, but lost is lost. And so as we stand together, the songwriter really said it best. And I hope through the power of suggestion, I plant a seed in your brain you can't get away from the rest of the day. You ready? Fixing to try to take advantage of you here, but at least I'm warning you. There's an old song that says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. (laughs) I hope you go to bed with that tune in your head tonight. I hope you wake up with it in your head in the morning. How do I stay tenderhearted when I think of the goodness of Jesus? And all he has done for me. My soul cries out, hallelujah. I've got to hold on. I've got to hold on because he's done so much for me. I can't tell it all. Why don't we lift our hands? Would you magnify the Lord? Open your mouth and let's just put some noise to that. And let the spirit of God touch us today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.